0: If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do.
1: What we're trying to do in the park is there are these absolutely stunning statues. And the idea was that you should be able to go to the park, find these statues, point your phone at them and take them from their 3D Lego brick statue form, spin up a vortex that would bring their living version from the realm to life in front of you.
0: Alicorns, Hydra, the majestic sky lion, and warps. Lego Mythica, the world's first amusement park experience of its kind, is now using augmented reality to add these creatures to summer 2021 and beyond. Lego Mythica, located in Legoland Windsor, opened on Memorial Day weekend and introduced three new AR-enhanced rides, including Flight of the Sky Lion, the UK's first flying theater ride, and the magic behind the magic, comes from London-based augmented reality platform and creative studio Zapper. But the most exciting part, while Mythica is their most recent project, Zapper continues in their mission to democratize AR and make the world scannable. Casper Tickier is co-founder and CEO of Zapper. Casper, what an important milestone for Zapper's 10-year anniversary a major project with Mythica that you've described as your dream project. But what I'd like to know before we talk about these, where did the story start for you? How did you first fall in love with augmented reality and know that this is what you wanted to do with your creative talents?
1: Oh, goodness. Well, that's a lovely question. Well, I guess it's one of those things that was slightly serendipitous, to be honest. I guess I was in business with a good friend of mine called Kirk Ewing, and. We had a business called VMe, which stood for Make Me Virtual. And we were doing some really fun stuff, actually, with PlayStation Home and working with brands and sort of bringing brands into that sort of gaming environment and producing all sorts of interesting sort of virtual merchandise from T-shirts to running machines and virtual coffees and all sorts of craziness. Anyway... During that sort of experience, and as we sort of, I guess, were exploring what is this thing called the metaverse and where is this all going, we sort of, I guess, augmented reality came onto our radar a little bit. And purely through chance, we were, our officers were actually in Edinburgh, but we were down in London with someone we knew having lunch. We got onto the subject of augmented reality and he said, oh, that's really strange. I'm meeting these two guys from Cambridge tomorrow. Why don't you come along? You know, they're going to show me what they've been up to. And actually, we had sort of space in our diary. We thought that would be kind of interesting. Why don't we go and do that? And so we pitched up at this guy's offices. He was just starting a new business. So it was like classic new business. It was sort of a new startup. It was this really rather decrepit office sort of over in East London. Anyway, these two guys turned up in classic university attire, sort of, you know, sort of slightly broken knitwear, and proceeded to show us the sort of most extraordinary AR experiences. And you remember, this was 2010, you know, and so the devices were very different and lots of people were talking about these, the future, but not actually showing it in action. It turns out that these two people were Simon Taylor and Conor Gould, who are two of the founders of Zapper. I think that was just a sort of an intake of breath moment of seeing these things that people had talked about, but actually seeing them working on devices turns out that you couldn't meet two nicer people either. And so I think that sort of combination of meeting, you know, people that you instantly kind of have a huge respect and rapport for and seeing what they had already achieved at that moment, I think was a bit of where this feels like a real step forward in what's happening in terms of mobile devices. And it was exciting because you sort of went, wow, there are no rules written here. What is this? Why does it exist? What could it be? And that's all quite exciting, you know, to sort of think about. And and I guess the journey started there.
0: No rules written. You've got an open canvas. This is the genesis of Zapper. What were those early days like for you?
1: Well, I I guess it was then really interesting. You know, I mean, I think one of the wonderful things that I like, you know, so admire about Simon and Connell is they're so inquisitive, so curious, but also so exacting and constantly asking, you know, why? Why AR? What is the point of it? And so I guess, you know, on one hand, because there wasn't anything really out there to compare it to, I mean, there were some really cool things, actually, to be fair, that Mateo were doing some great stuff, a wonderful company in the UK called String, who were doing some pretty amazing things as well. But I guess, you know, you sort of went, oh, wow, AR used to be tethered to a desktop, now it's on a mobile device, you know, how do we, you know, really sort of free this lens that can help us see the world in a different way? You know, so I guess this whole notion of how do we democratize that? You know, we're you know this isn't going to be just one app to rule them all. This is something that we need to kind of really get in the hands of the next generation of designers and developers, and we need really need to you know speak to different brands and businesses and see you know what value it could bring. So I think that, you know at our heart there was always that mission of okay, actually you know what we need to do is we need to help build this sector. We need to try and get out there and do that, and um, I guess because. My background in Kirk, my colleague at BB's background, had been in sort of the world of licensing and, and publishing and brands. You know, we had a number of contacts who we could go out to in, in the entertainment industry, in, in business and kind of go, look, we've got this really interesting technology. We think it's good for this. What do you reckon, you know, would you, is that something you'd be interested in exploring? You know, and I guess in those early days, you know, such a massive education job because you were trying to explain what this awful, you know, I mean, augmented reality is such a terrible set of words, you know, and to me, it's kind of meaningless to, to everyone. And actually, I have to say, well, I think Snap actually did the really brilliant work of taking it away from this notion of augmented reality and talking about the camera and talking about the lenses and filters and, you know, just making it feel more every day, if you like so those early deaths were pretty exciting but also you know tough because you know you're trying to explain magic in the air to people (laughs) and unless you actually see it it's you know you can kind of nod along to the idea of it but it's not you know it's hard to grasp but what's wonderful about it is the minute you do show it to someone there is that wonderful kind of you know, at that time like we always describe it as almost surprise and delight. You know, that sort of sense of wonder of trying to look around the phone to go, "Wow, what is happening there?" You know, what is what kind of voodoo is this? So yeah, as always, the first bit's always fun. It's always also, by the way, it's always a lot more fun in hindsight because <laughs> you, <forget> <laughs> you forget all the hard yards, and all the other boring stuff that comes with starting a business. But yeah, how's the intense?
0: I love the term magic in the air. I don't think I've ever heard AR better described than what you've just said. Fast forward to today. If I have my information correct, you've got a 1000 plus AR projects, a bunch Mm. of awards, and a dream project, having worked with Legoland Windsor Mythica. How'd that project come on your radar?
1: Oh, well, you know, I guess the reason it's a dream project for me personally, is my father was Danish and, you know, the sort of, the, the kind of, I guess, the Viking spirit, the, the Danes run strong in our family. So to work with Legoland and to work with Lego as well is a real privilege. It came about actually, as many of these projects do, because of the, I guess, the strength of character and ambition of one of the key people at Legoland, which is a a guy called Ash Taylor, who is the global VP marketing for Legoland. And I guess, you know, he sort of saw the opportunity for augmented reality, for Mythica as a piece of IP. And he saw that incredibly early on. And I think it was just, you know, fortunate that he had come across Zappa in sort of, I guess, a previous guys. And I guess when it came to it, he just thought, I need to speak to those guys and get them involved. And I love that because, you know, it wasn't the classic. Let's do this huge, long RFP process. Let's get six people in. Let's do blind bids. Let's. It was. It was more like now let's have a conversation. Let's talk about what you know my vision is for this, and please come back and present and see if you know there is a you know a kind of real connection there in terms of what we all want to achieve. And Ash and his team, who are all lovely by the way, were incredible because you know if you think I mean I guess. We were briefed on this maybe a year ago now. I want to say, in a year, you know, in the year that's gone past, to create a brand new IP to stand that up at Legoland Windsor as a totally new area to build the UK's first 4D flying theatre, working with sort of incredible partners like Pure Imagination out in California and um, wonderful agency called We Are Sync in the UK and Attractions IO as the act of You know, I have to say, Legoland have got an incredible collection of partners that they work with and everyone came along together and accepted us into that you know that collective if you like and that's often hard to do you know when you've got lots of different people doing different things but we managed to hit the ground running and you know the core of Mythica is is, is just made for AR because it's about the connection you know through kids imaginations between the process of making sort of creatures with bricks and how they exist in this wonderful mythical realm and so that idea of there being a portal or a vortex or a connection between this world and another you know get back to that magic in the air thing that you know that's what AR brings to life you know it allows you to put a different lens on the world and you know turn you know one state into another state so there's a there that was you know kind of slightly you know wrote itself however you know Trying to deliver that technically was pretty challenging you know, with everything that we had to do. But again, you know, it's amazing what you can achieve when you've got great people who are all headed in the same direction. And, you know, I, I think there is that you know, a great thing that I think, you know, most businesses get the work out of their suppliers that they deserve because of the way they treat them and, and how they, you know, how they go about it. And, you know, Legoland had been exception.
0: What was one of the biggest technical challenges? You've made it look easy. You've made it look like, oh, a yeah. silver lion coming out of a statue, no problem. <laughs> I don't think yeah. that's the reality.
1: Well, I'll, I'll give it to you in layman's terms because I'm not one of the engineers. So I'm, I'm sure Simon McConnell would kick me under the table were they here. So forgive my transgressions in getting this wrong. But so one of the challenges, obviously, is what we try to do in the park is there are these absolutely stunning statues. I mean, if you're a Lego fan, it's just as good as it gets. There's these huge sort of recreations of these mythical creatures, you know, really, really vast, made out of, you know, hundreds of thousands of bricks. And the idea was that you should be able to go into the park, find these statues, point your phone at them, and take them from their 3D Lego brick statue form, spin up a vortex that would then bring their living, you know, version from the realm to life in front of you. I guess there are a few difficult things there. One is, you know, how do you do 3D object recognition? And also, how do you do that in a park where, you know, you've got lots of different sort of environmental conditions to think about in terms of what's happening with the light? Is it raining? Is it, you know, what's the foot traffic in front of that statue? And, you know, what's the Wi-Fi network connectivity about all those things that, you know, you just got to think about in that setting. Plus we've got to somehow locate that 3D object in the camera view, knowing that people could be in, you know, lots of different sort of angles of view and solidly make this then vortex kind of accurately be in that exact spot each time. And there are sort of interesting things like with cloud anchors and things that are sort of coming to, to I guess to allow you to do those sort things. But to try and do that with pinpoint accuracy in these places is quite tricky. So and by the way, you've also got to tell people that this thing exists, you know, because how do they know to do it? So And this was brilliant. This is what's so lovely to be involved in this project so early on. And often we're not, is that we could then work with the park team as well to create special plaques. And we, you know, turned the Mythica logo into a special custom code scheme that looks, you know, in keeping, I guess, from an aesthetic perspective with everything else in the park. And we could position that plaque and know exactly its location in relation then to the statue that you then put your phone at. And we then came up with this very clever kind of extended code tracking solution that meant that once you'd scan that code, then we can understand exactly where the user is in relation to that code. And then using, you know, other aspects of the phone in terms of its gyro, you know, as they turn their phone towards the statue, we know exactly the distance, you know, to place then the AR content from. And as they move around, we can use world tracking to make sure that it works, stays in the right position. But there was loads of kind of, you know, obviously site visits to try and get that exactly to work how we wanted to. And, you know, we're using some absolutely wonderful assets that have been built by, you know, created by pure imagination for the 4D ride. And then there's all the kind of complication of, well, how do we take those huge asset files and, and how do we replicate them at a size that's going to work in AR on sort of modern mobile devices, but you still need to go back, you know, there's still quite a lot of iPhone sort of 6 and 7s kicking around and lots of Android devices, etc. So I guess it's all that... It's all the stuff that you don't need to think of. It's a bit like, you know, when you turn on a light bulb, you don't care how it works. It's got to be the same with are. You don't really care about, I guess, this, you know, a lot of the stuff I just talked about. Um, you just want it to be a nice, sort of pleasant, sort of simple frictionless experience. And so I guess that's the bit you've got to work hard at because it is actually harder to do <laughs> than it seems in many instances. So that's been very satisfying. It's been extremely satisfying to see that work and see the reactions and see the photos being taken. And... Actually not to get loads of, you know, kind of support requests going, it doesn't work.
0: me <laughs> back in your imagination, would you, to the opening day of Legoland Mythica, would you see what you experiencing?
1: Well, we were super lucky in that we got to go there. Apologies, that's my dog barking. We got to go there just before it opened. So we weren't actually there on the opening day. And having done those site visits over the kind of months and weeks leading up to it, it's so interesting how on all projects in any industry, in any sector, and you know, or any conference or event, how everything comes together in the last literally minutes. <laughs> you know, right up to that point, you know, it's goodness, it can look like, you know, just sort of everything everywhere. And so it was so lovely to be there just before the opening and just see it pristine and almost kind of because all the audio was rigged up, but there was sort of, we had awful weather here in the UK in May, and then it just turned for the opening. And so there's this really amazing moment of calm just before it. And to see everything there and see all the hard work, you know, that everyone had put into it was really lovely. What we did get to see, which was great, is Legoland clients were gracious enough to show us some video that was taken at sort of 10 a.m. on the opening day of that Mythica site. And you know, literally just seeing people running towards that portal to be the first to come in was kind of lovely to see. You know, there was real excitement about it. And by all accounts, you know, the this opening period has been, you know, hugely successful. Which again, you know, you can't ask for anything more, can you, after all that hard work to see kids and families actually enjoying the Lego and the rides and the AR.
0: I wonder why that's true of any creative project. You get to a stage where, oh, this is never going to work, and then boom, last minute, it all comes together.
1: You just need a deadline, don't you? It's a bit like, you know, there is always some necessary sort of creative tension and friction required in any creative endeavor of any quality, in a way. I mean, it's that awful anxiety you get if everything's going slightly too well and too easy, because it's almost like, well, what have we missed, you know? And I think it's true of that sort of deadline-driven thing as well is, you know, it's amazing what can be achieved when you know that that is go-live. I don't think that's then, I'm definitely not one for thinking that you should create false deadlines or there's any kind of machismo from working all through the night and all weekends. You want to avoid all that. But yeah, it's hugely satisfying, isn't it, when you've, everyone works towards that deadline and, and it all works out in the end. <laughs>
0: What did you consider one of your most magical creative moments as you were working on Mythica? (laughs) Well,
1: it's terrible for me to answer all these because I'm not a creative. I have to say, you know, so a shout out to Andre Asselino, who is our executive creative director at Zappa, and indeed the incredible team that he worked with on it. So it's quite a team that was worked across that. I, I mean, like I said, I think what's so wonderful about it is not trying to... Sort of, you know, I guess, gild the lily, if you like. It was trying to allow that central storyline of that IP to breathe and to try and see how we could match as far as possible the really incredible designs and, and creatures that had been then stood up by, you know, pure imagination in terms of how they looked in a way that worked in AR. And so, again, I think, you know, I think the some of the aha moments were more about, hang on, maybe actually we need to do less rather than more. And why don't we just use some of the things that just already make sense in AR and already makes sense to people in terms of how they think about, you know, what, you know, the idea of a portal, etc. Do you know what I mean? It's not trying to do too much, if you like. So I think that was the beauty of it in a way. It was a pretty cool idea to go all right, we're going to try and stand up these vortices in the park and the relationship between these two things. It's like, okay, <laughs> we'll try and make that work. So yes, but I am blessed with a fantastic creative director and creative team. And oh boy, did they put in a shift on that one. But then again, I think it comes back to the thing when you've got a wonderful property, you've got a really wonderful partner to work with and everyone pulling in the same direction you know, you try your hardest, don't you? And I guess that's also where the good stuff comes.
0: Would you choose one of your absolute favorite apps of AR and tell me about the jaw-dropping idea that led to that one?
1: Gosh, beyond Mythica. I think the tricky thing for me is that I always fall in love with the next thing we're working on. And I don't know if that's just one of those things where, you know, you're always, I guess you never reach perfection, do you? So it is always about what is the next challenge? What is the next thing that's exciting? It's a really, it's a great question. I often think about this and go, some of my favorite AR pieces are the simplest, funnily enough. You know, I know it's great that we can do amazing things now with a sort of volumetric video and, you know, kind of the fidelity and the way that we can get kind of sort of reflections to work on 3D items and, you know, photogrammetry. There's so much awesomeness out there. But there's something about just even the simplicity of a video starting on a piece of paper where the transition between what's on that paper and that video is completely seamless that is incredibly satisfying and I know that's not you know people might go oh god that's so boring but I don't know I find I delight more in the nuances of the little things than the exuberance and extravagance of the big things and I think that's because increasingly you know I hope that what AR becomes is more a a kind of a utility and something that, yeah, great. It's great for entertainment. It's it's wonderful to sort of do these sort of spatial storytelling, but trying to understand how it can, you know, back to that question of why, why do we need this? You know, what is the reason for it? And sometimes it can just be the bits that are a bit more instructional and informational, might not be as sexy, but that's useful. So, yeah, you know, I guess I haven't given you one example, but that's certainly a sort of, I'm gravitating towards the beauty and simplicity in AR.
0: (laughs) That sounds almost like a lesson on how to create good AR, beauty, simplicity. If you were teaching someone right now, as you democratize AR, what works and what didn't, what would you add to that?
1: Oh, well, one thing I probably have bored people with too much, but it, it is a mantra that we talk about all the time is we do talk about this thing called the five C's for success in AR. And I guess that is a framework for thinking about how you make experiences that are going to engage, you know, end users. And and those five C's stand for the context, controlling that context, the call to action, uh, the content itself, and the communication of that experience. And, you know, all those things surround the technology. And it comes back to that thing of, you know, the technology just needs to work. No one needs to be thinking about the technology and they need to be enjoying the experience. It's all about the end user benefit. And I guess context and control are two parts of the same piece in a way. You know, that context is where is that person? You know, have they got a hand free? What's the network connectivity like? You know, how old are they? What kind of device are they on? All that good stuff that just sort of goes, where is this person at this point in time that we're asking them to use AR? And is it a good one? And then the control bit is all that sort of stuff around the environment that we talked about for Mythica in a way. You know, what is happening with the sounds, the lighting, how far away is something from the thing we're asking them to scan or where we're asking them to position, you know, something. Because all those count in terms of making it feel magical or increasing that sort of verisimilitude. The call to action then is also key because it's still not a behavior that everyone's familiar with. And when you see most people actually use a mobile for AR, more likely than not, they'll do the thing you absolutely don't want them to do. They'll get too close, they'll be too far away, they'll be in a landscape or portrait or holding the phone wrong or finger over the camera. You know, all that good stuff. So actually the call to action to tell them what it is, you know, and what they're going to get from it and how they should do it, critical, right? Again, really obvious stuff, but so important. Content goes without saying, you know, don't do AR if it could be delivered better, you know, through other existing channels that people understand and know. And then the communication piece is, again, you know, how do you use your other existing channels or present examples of the experience that piques people's interest? Or, you know, if you've got your internal staff or sales staff or, you know, make them aware of it, you know, because they're your greatest sort of advocates to go out and share it with others. So that sort of five C's framework is something that we come back to continuously and ask ourselves when we think about making experiences. And I guess those first two Cs become kind of more nuanced and specific, depending on what vertical you're in, whether you're doing something in, say, retail or packaging or, you know, events. So, yeah, I think that's something we talk about a lot.
0: Of course, I asked you about that because I am planning to do a shameless plug here. Zapper is democratizing making AR with a tool. And I wish you'd tell me about this.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we certainly are. I mean, you know, I guess democratization is one of those words that gets massively overused. But it is something we've talked about for a long time. Why do we talk about it? We talk about it because we fundamentally believe that that it is a facilitating technology and it is something that if we truly believe that it has value, that it is something that needs to be understood by you know this next generation of developers and designers, so it is part of their you know their skill set to think about how they tell stories, you know. It's just another means of doing that. And so in order to do that, though, well, you need to build a, a tech stack of, you know, different underlying kind of algorithms for different tracking types, for code tracking and image tracking and world tracking and face tracking, all that sort of good stuff. And then you have to kind of create a, a really good sort of publishing, and authoring platform that allows people to describe these experiences that tend to be short form on the go occasions on mobile. So that's, I guess, what we did with Zapworks. Or you need to then, you know, create wrappers around existing content authoring tools that people already use, you know, be that sort of 3JS or Unity or other software, so that, you know, actually, people don't have a heavy lift of having to learn a new tool, they can just use the tool they like, but, you know, kind of be able to use the Yes, our underlying tech to bring that to life in AR. And then you need, you know, a wealth of distribution methods so that people can put that out whether they want. So whether that's natively in an app or, you know, more recently through web AR, et cetera. So I guess democratization kind of sort of is central to the way that we think about our product roadmap and the way that we think about, you know, how do you build AR experiences that can be robust, scalable, affordable, and efficient. And so that's I sometimes wish that we hadn't gone for something so lofty in terms of democratization because it's almost such a massive challenge. And by the way, it's not only us doing it it'd be ridiculous to think that you can be a single, you know, company that's trying to do that. We do that as part of a really kind of vibrant and growing sector that, you know, has everyone from the, you know, amazing enormous companies that are Apple, Facebook, Snap, you know, Google, etc all the way down through the, you know, immersive agencies and new sort of digital agencies that are sort of building these amazing experiences. And then, you know, platforms like ourselves and others that are sort of fueling this. So, yeah, it's an exciting time. You know, we kind of, the last 10 years feel foundation building and the next 10, I think, are, well, even the next two or three are hugely exciting.
0: When you say that you are in love with the next project you're doing, what's the project you're falling in love with currently? (laughs)
1: oh goodness well i'll tell you what so there's another part of our business so we talked about our creative studio business we talked a bit about our platform the other one which is a sort of a third pillar that really truly makes us quite unique is that we also create our own hardware so a project we've been working on for really the last five years is a thing called zapbox and so zapbox is our Mixed reality headset, again, for the democratization point, it's about how do we take a $3,000 headset but deliver it you know at a price point that's more like $30. And I think the thing we're super excited about is the next iteration of Zapbox that, that is due out in October of this year. We have some, some very fortunate to have some wonderful Kickstarter backers who helped fund this latest version a little while ago. And that development is coming along very well. We've got a sort of a 10th anniversary Pioneers Summit coming up next week where we're going to be showing off some new bits for that, which we're super excited about. And so I've got to say that seeing where that product now is and seeing the sort of trajectory of, you know, mixed reality and the movement from that will eventually come, but still going to take a long time from, I guess, phones to, to glasses is fascinating. And I think that box is kind of in a unique space of its own, if I'm honest, in terms of the quality of experience that it can deliver at the price point that it's at. And so, you know, it's been a long time coming, but we are, you know, we're enjoying it at the moment. One thing that it has brought home is the unbelievable shortage of, you know, silicon semiconductors, modules, all that good stuff that you I would only ever have heard about in the newspapers, but now is actually really important. (laughs) to me. (laughs) But you go, wow, that is a problem. You know, these are hard things to procure. The supply chain is choked up, it turns out. But yeah, very something.
0: If people could only get one thing from you and from Zapper about innovation, creativity and making a difference, what would you like them to take away either from what you're doing right now with Zapbox or your work on Mythica or any other projects?
1: I think the one thing would be don't be daunted by the technology. You know, I think We often find that, you know, when you're just staring at a blank sheet of paper trying to think about AR, you know, on the one hand, your mind races and you think of a thousand things and then you never do anything. Or you get a bit frightened about having to do something too ambitious and so never do anything. And I think, you know, I think it comes back to, I guess, what we've been talking about before is, you know, never underestimate how brilliant something small can be, you know, in AR and sort of start there. I would avoid, you know, just all the noise, you know, all the clickbait, all the kind of here's the next great thing that's coming. All that stuff that just means that you don't kind of just free yourself up, to just think a little bit, you know, smaller. And I think the beauty of all the stuff that we do with our platform And with Zapbox and in the creative studio is back to that kind of framework thing is just try and break it down and then build it up. And, you know, just kind of enjoy the reaction that you get from people when you show it to people, because, you know, whether you're young and old or you're kind of joyous or a bit curmudgeoning, it's quite hard not to kind of be, you know, enjoy a little bit of a young.
0: Casper, thank you for your time today.
1: Not at all. It's a pleasure.
0: You and I have been listening to Casper Tickier, co-founder and CEO of multiple award-winning AR platform and creative studio, Zapper. Find out more about Zapper's current projects, their AR creation toolkit, Zapworks, and their mixed reality kit, Zapbox, at zapper.com. That's Zapper, spelling their name Z-A-P-P-A-R, zapper.com. Meanwhile, if you're going to be in the UK... Take a look at legoland.co.uk to find out how to experience Lego Mythica firsthand. But watch out for that Chimera. They're said to be very fierce. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Maverick, M-A-V-E-R-I-X. And you can contact us at 2 at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Doc Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.